As we begin this series tonight, our world is experiencing an unprecedented situation with COVID-19, or what they call the coronavirus. Borders and businesses are shutting down, schools and sports centers are closed, and of course, uh, churches have been asked to refrain from gathering at this time. And that's all in an attempt to stem the tide of the COVID-19 virus before it gets totally out of hand and could even overwhelm our healthcare systems. The World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic one week ago today. And as of today, there are uh, 208,000 cases reported in 170 countries and territories and more than 8,200 deaths. So it's a very serious situation. But since you might be watching this message online at a later time or a later date, those statistics may have already changed very dramatically. It's both frustrating and frightening when normal life seems to upend and spiral completely out of control in such a short period of time. We're all trying to adjust to this new normal, at least for the next few weeks. And the most difficult thing for most of us to negotiate is the social distancing that our governments have mandated. I had never heard that term before, but it's everywhere in the media this week, social distancing. And then I remembered that the Bible contains probably the earliest reference to social distancing in world history, Leviticus 13. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and he shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. Notice this. He shall dwell alone without the camp. Outside of the camp of Israel shall his habitation be. So that's the first instance of what we call social distancing. They place lepers outside the camp for the safety of everyone inside the city. And we are facing similar restrictions today. Don't gather. No crowds. Stand six feet apart. No touching, no handshakes, no hugs. And for all of us apostolics, definitely no laying on of hands. Those are the rules. Stay at home, self-quarantine, self-isolate. Now those are difficult restrictions to manage because as human beings, we draw so much of our strength from each other through our interactions. And that's especially true when you're part of a church family. It's just even more true than anybody else. So right now, you and I both know we feel quite separated, even scattered a bit. And that brings us to this series and to a letter that was written by the day of Pentecost preacher himself, the Apostle Peter, about 2,000 years ago. And he begins his letter this way. And this is the verse that kind of clicked in my spirit uh, when we entered this time um, with our church of kind of trying to shut down services and, and, and accommodate people with online services. This is the scripture. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, the place names don't matter to us, but suffice it to say, this is a wide territory, a wide swath of the ancient Roman Empire. And so Peter is writing to people who serve the Lord Jesus, but they are scattered, some of them by persecution, some of them by all kinds of strife, maybe war. Uh, they're scattered across the then-known Roman Empire. So Peter literally writes this letter to a group of strangers. We would say resident aliens because they live temporarily in a country that is not their own. They're citizens of heaven, so they're not permanent residents of earth, the same as us. They are, as Jesus said, in the world, but not of the world. And because they are strangers in this world, Peter warns them in this letter, you will be considered strange or he uses the word peculiar. You'll be considered strange because you're strangers in this world. In the world's eyes, they'll think you're weird and so different. You see, the world has different values, different standards, an entirely different lifestyle, and so do we. And because of this, Peter warns these wonderful believers, you will experience some suffering as you live for God. It is going to happen. Not only are these believers a strange people, they're also a scattered people. 
And here Peter uses a Greek word, diaspora, which has the sense of seed that is scattered or dispensed or dispersed by a sower. And that word is still used today to describe the Jewish people and even other ethnic groups that have been displaced from their homeland and scattered in different nations of the world. Diaspora, or in English we say scattered. And we immediately think of this scattering and this social distancing to be a bad thing, don't we? Because it's a bad thing for us this week, a bad thing for us today and at this time. And sometimes I'll admit that it is this scattering. The builders of the Tower of Babel, they were scattered by God's judgment because of their pride and rebellion. However, there's a flip side to this coin because the early church, God scattered them so they could be a blessing to the world. So it can go both ways. I'll admit the early church didn't like it very much when the Lord allowed trouble, persecution, harmful circumstances to come into their lives. But it was that suffering that ended up propelling the gospel and propelling the early church far beyond Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it was a blessing in disguise. We would not exist today as a church around the world if they hadn't been scattered in the first century. But it was still very difficult for them to feel all alone, isolated, and so very scattered. That's who these people are. Um, that's where they live. That's how they feel. They're like strangers who are scattered. And you felt that way too, I'm sure. I'm not talking about the pandemic precautions that you've had to take in the last week or that you're currently implementing in your home. I'm not even talking about the social distancing measures that they've enforced in your workplace. You know, we didn't even know this virus existed three months ago. I'm talking about much longer ago than three months. I'm talking about your life before that, long before that. When you're just living life and raising your family and paying your bills and attending school and you're mowing your lawn and shopping for groceries and going to work and serving your church and you can do all of that and you're doing so well and all that time, sometimes you can feel like you're a stranger who's been scattered. You feel all alone. You feel isolated. It's like you're all alone out there in the middle of a crowd, like you're suffering in unfair or difficult circumstances. And if that's you, if that's ever been you, if you're suffering through uh, some anxiety or loneliness or fear, even right now, this letter from the Apostle Peter nearly 2,000 years ago, it's, it's for you. Now, you may see yourself as a stranger who's scattered and isolated and alone and lonely. And the world might even look at you that way. Your emotions might even perceive it that way. But let me tell you, that is not how God sees you. God does not see you as a weakling. God sees you as a warrior. God doesn't see you as all alone and isolated. God said, I will be with you even unto the end of the world. And so we jump into Peter's book, and here's how he describes these people, these scattered strangers who, they don't have any real connection with each other. They're scattered across all of those Roman provinces that I named. But this letter is cycling around and circling through the provinces and they're reading it in little tiny meetings like we've been forced to have in the last few days. And they're reading it and they're drawing strength from it and I want to give it to you. Here's how Peter describes these people and here's how God would describe you. You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. God describes you as elect. That word means chosen, selected, handpicked. It even means favorite. You're God's favorite. Among all the things God ever created, you're God's favorite. You are the sanctified. That means holy or godly or purified. It means set apart and different and distinct. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a blessing. That's not a burden. He said, you're elect and you're sanctified. But then he said, it's unto the obedience. You are also obedient. You see, as apostolics, we love and we submit to and we honor God's commandments. They're, they're not something that we chafe at or resist. We are obedient. That's how uh, Peter describes these people. 
And then he says, you are covered with the blood, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege to have the blood of Jesus cover our sins and heal our diseases. It not only makes us forgiven in the sight of God, but there is healing in the blood. And I know at this time, many people are afraid of sickness and disease and this terrible pandemic. But I just want to tell you that there have been people suffering with fear and anxiety over another dreaded disease far before we ever got here. And they felt alone sometimes. And they felt like strangers scattered. Everybody else is living life. Everybody else is blessed. Everybody else's family is healthy. And they're going for one treatment after another to one doctor's appointment after another to one hospital room after another. And that's why we need to bear one another's burdens. The Bible says that's how we fulfill the law of Christ is when we care for one another. And I want to tell you that even at this time when we can't gather in a large crowd, we can still care for one another. We can still call one another. We can still reach out to one another and help one another. I'm so grateful for the blood. It not only forgives us, the blood can heal. And I do speak a healing word over somebody tonight because I didn't just come here to do a little lecture on a video that we can post online. I came here to preach the word of God to you. And the word of God, the Bible says, where the word of a king is, there is power. It's not my word, it's his word. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. And so where the word is preached, it doesn't matter what the subject is. You can be healed anytime you're sitting under the preached word of God. Paul or Peter goes on and he says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He said, you've got grace. This is who you are. You may feel like a stranger who's just been scattered by your circumstance, scattered by life. You may feel like that, but here's how God sees you. You have grace. You have the unmerited favor of God that rests on your life. You didn't deserve it. You could have never paid for it. Uh, God shouldn't have really given it to you because we were sinners, but he loves us so much. And so his grace, the unmerited favor of God rests upon us. And then he says, and you've got peace. That's a wonderful word. It means that you live in harmony and you live in rest and you live without worry. You trust God for what you need and you trust God through situations. And I'll tell you, at this time, a lot of us could use a whole lot of peace. And he goes on to say, all these things are multiplied to you. You don't just have a little bit. You don't just have a tiny bit. They're multiplied to you. And he, he can't, it's like he can't stop. He goes on, he's describing these people. Some of them he's never met, most of them probably. He's writing to them so this letter can be taken from little tiny group to little tiny group to little tiny group. He can't communicate with them online. He doesn't have that. He can't meet with them in a big group because they've been persecuted. They've been chased out of one city after another. They're scattered all through the Roman Empire across all these provinces. But he's sending this letter and he just can't stop. Because although it looks like they're down and although it looks like they're minimized and although it looks like they're weak, they're not. Here's how God sees us. He says, you have abundant mercy. God, which according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He said, you've got abundant mercy. In other words, God's heart is in love with you. He gives you mercy. Grace is when God gives us something we never deserved. Mercy is when God doesn't pour out the judgment that we did deserve. And God's heart is so in love with us. He didn't pour out the judgment that he could have and should have poured out. He says that God, he has given you this abundant mercy and he has begotten us again. You are born again. Your old life is gone and your new life is come. You're born again. You're begotten again. And he still can't stop. He goes on and he says, he's begotten us to this lively hope. So we have a confident expectation that God's gonna deliver us. God's gonna help us. God's gonna come through. It's a lively hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a futile hope. It's a lively hope. And he says, it's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how we get this. And he still can't stop. He's still describing these people that would look so weak, so small in the eyes of the world. And he said, you're not small. You're not weak. You're strong in the Lord. 
and, and you're, you're warriors for God. He says, you have an inheritance incorruptible in verse four. He, he said, hell can't touch your inheritance. Hell can't steal it. Hell can't uh, interfere with it. Hell can't uh, take it away from you. You have an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It fades not away and it's reserved in heaven for you. The devil can't do anything about it. You have that kind of inheritance. And then he finishes by saying, and you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready, uh, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God. If we ever needed a promise to be fulfilled in our lives today, it would be that one, to be kept by the power of God, no matter what is going on in society, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on with our financial situation, with our work situation, with, with our family situation, we need to be kept by the power of God. And, and, and we haven't even seen the end of this story. That sounds so powerful. He spends three verses just kind of going overboard saying, you're not weak, this is how God sees you. You're not small, this is how heaven sees you. And, and he said, we're kept through the power of God un, un, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We haven't even seen the end of the story. The fullness of God's blessing in our lives will not be revealed until we get to heaven. So even if it doesn't feel good or seem good or look good right now, you hang in there and you keep walking with God and working for God. Because the fullness of your faith is revealed in heaven, not here. He continues on, and here's where he shifts. And he talks to these people, these scattered strangers about real life and real problems. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. In the words of Peter, he said in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We rejoice in all these blessings that God has given us. We thank God for them. We celebrate them. We gather together and have worship services and we sing songs and we preach sermons and we pray prayers and we celebrate all these blessings of God and we rejoice in them. But that does not mean that you won't walk through some seasons when you have difficulties. And he uses this word. Many times we are in heaviness, drudgery, grief, sadness, Long, lonely, endless, weary days because of manifold temptations. That's an unusual phrase. The word temptations there means literally trials that put us to a test. And in these kind of times, the temptation, when we get in a situation that we don't like and we don't understand, the temptation is always to believe the worst about our situation, to believe what our eyes see, to believe what our emotions process, to believe what our five senses can touch. And, and that's what we tend to believe. That's the temptation when we get in one of these seasons to believe what we see when the Bible tells us we don't walk by sight, we actually walk by faith. And also, uh, Peter says, these aren't just trials to put us to the test. They're not just temptations. They are manifold temptations. That means varied or different or much or many. So these are a lot of different kinds of temptation. You know, not everybody walks through the same thing that you walk through. They may never. And you may have never walked through what they're going through. And that's why we need to have love one to another. We don't need to judge each other. Because you never know what somebody's walking through. You never know what their family is facing. They may look fine. Uh, they may put on a smile. And you may see them and think, well, they're way better off than me. But you might have no idea. Because we all walk through manifold, very different, many, much temptation. And we don't all go through it at the same way or at the same time. And we don't go through the same things even. And that makes us feel alone. That makes us feel scattered sometimes. And by the way, Peter will tell us a little later in this letter in chapter four that not only do we walk through manifold temptations, but he says in chapter four in verse 10 that God gives us manifold grace. 
So we have many different kinds of trials and tests. We have all these different varied situations that we walk through. But in answer to that, God gives us manifold grace. He gives us many, very different, much uh, grace to walk through these trials. In other words, God will give you grace to match your trial. Now here's where we mess up. We want God to give us that answer, that grace, that strength today for something we're not maybe going to face till next week. And we worry about it. We get anxious about it. And, and we talk to everybody else about it. And, and we literally, I told somebody today, don't, don't cross that bridge. We haven't even got to the river yet. We haven't even built the bridge yet. Just kind of calm down and, and wait. Because here's the thing. You can worry yourself into a frenzy. You can worry yourself right out of faith. You can worry yourself into a climate of doubt or depression. But please trust the word of God. You will have manifold trials, manifold tests, manifold temptations, but God will give you manifold grace to help you through all of that. Now, when Peter uses this word uh, trial, the trial of your faith, he says, the trial of your faith is much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. And he compares this to a, like a, a smelter's furnace where gold is put in the furnace and burned at a very high heat so it can be purified. And the word for trial that he uses there is dokimos. See, in the ancient world, there was no banking system like we have today. They had no paper money at all. So all money was made from metal. And what they would do is they would melt valuable metals, perhaps gold, and they would pour it into molds and let it cool. And that was their money. When they took it out of the molds, of course, you know, it was very primitive. So some of those coins would have quite rough, sharp edges. And so they would file it off so somebody could handle it, put it in their pocket, take it out without cutting their finger. And so they would kind of shave the edge a little bit. Well, you can imagine there were some crooked money changers. And what they would do is they would take a coin and they would begin to shave a little bit extra and a little bit extra because every five or ten coins, they'd have a whole extra coin by what they had shaved off of the coin. And in one century, more than 80 laws were passed just in the city of Athens to prevent that practice of cutting the coins too closely. But there were some money changers at this point in history. They were men of honesty and integrity, and they would accept no counterfeit money, no money that wasn't full size and full weight. They were men of honor. They would put only genuine, full-weighted coins into circulation. And so they got a nickname. Dokimos or approved. And when you come through your trial, that is what you are. You get through the trial, you don't get bitter, you get better. You don't lose your faith, you increase in your faith. You don't give up on God, you trust God. And when you get through the other end of your trial, it is like gold that has been tried in the furnace, burned in the furnace. There's been a lot of heat applied, but by the time you get through on the other side, you are approved unto God. You have come through stronger. And I know you've said this because I have. I went through some things that I didn't like, I didn't enjoy. I would never choose to go through them again. But when I got through the end of them, I said to myself, and maybe to some other people, I never was closer to God. I never prayed more. I never had to trust God more than when I walked through that situation. I didn't like it. I wouldn't even choose it again. But God helped me through it. That's what Peter's talking about when he uses this word dokimos, that the trial of your faith, it's like you go into a furnace and you come out the other side and you are purified in your heart and purified in your motives and purified in your faith. And you would never expect that a time so negative could do that for you, but often it does. It's like the old uh, patriarch Job. Job said these words, they're very famous. He said, behold, I go forward, but God's not there. I can't find him. And I look backward, but I can't perceive him back there. He said, on the left hand, I know he's working over there, but I can't behold him. And he's, he's hiding from me on my right hand, and I can't see him over there. He said, I look in every direction. I look forward and backward, left and right. I look up and down. I look in every direction in my time of intense trial, and I've got to be honest, I can't see God working anywhere. I can't find God 
anywhere. And I feel scattered. I feel all alone. I feel lonely. I feel forsaken. I feel like a stranger even to God. And then Job said, but when I don't know what's going on, God knows the way that I take. I trust that when I have no sweet clue what's going on in my life, my God knows exactly what is going on in my life. He woke me up this morning. He has sustained me all this day. And when I pillow my head and go to sleep tonight, God will still be with me. He never ceases caring for his people. So Job said, I don't know. But God knows the way that I take. And so here's my statement of faith and trust. When God has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Peter uses the same image. We may go through the fire. We may go into the furnace. We may go into the heat and into the intensity of a blaze. But when we come out of it, we're coming forth as gold. What Job literally said on that day, it's amazing. I love this. Job said, I can't see God now. I can't hear from God now. I don't understand what God is allowing now, but I still trust God. And so I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this trial, but let me show you how I'm coming out of this trial. I'm not coming out backslidden or bitter. I'm gonna come out rejoicing. I shall come forth as gold. I'm not coming out half-hearted. I'm coming out with God's full stamp of approval. I am coming forth as pure gold. That's exactly what Peter means when he uses that word dokimos. When you trust God through a trial, your integrity is like fine gold. And when you walk through that with your faith intact, because you know, can I tell you, faith sometimes is just very similar to stubbornness. Faith is just sometimes, I don't understand, I don't know, I can't see, I can't hear. I, I don't know what's going on, but here's what I do know. God is faithful. He's never forsaken me. And though I can't touch him in front or in back or left or right, I'm going to trust that. He knows the way I take. And sometimes faith is about the same as just a good stubborn streak. And that's what Peter means when he uses that word dokimos, approved. When you come through a trial with your integrity intact, it's like fine gold. It brings God glory. You might not understand the purpose behind it right now, but you will then. Peter says, though it might be tried with fire, it might be found under praise and honor and glory. Here's when, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven, all of the trials of this life are gonna seem so minor. I stated this at a funeral one time for a precious lady that was part of our church family. I, I stood at her service and I said this, if we left church after a Sunday service and we all headed out to arrive at the same restaurant, even in a small city like Fredericton, we'd all probably take slightly different routes to get there. We're all going to the same place, but we all take slightly different routes. Some of us, we might travel on rough roads. Some of us, this would happen in New Brunswick for sure. Some of us might travel through a construction zone. Some of us might be stopped by many red lights. Some of us might experience frustrating delays or this would definitely happen in Fredericton or bad drivers. We could experience all of that. But here's what I want you to think about. When we all get to the restaurant to have lunch together on a Sunday afternoon, don't do it now, you can't. But when we get back together, if you did that, and we all arrive at the restaurant together, here's what we don't do. We don't sit around for the next hour and relive every little bump, every little frustration, every little smudge of dirt on the car from the construction. We don't relive all the bad drivers and we don't relive all the delays. We get together and we fellowship and we laugh and we joke and we have fun and we enjoy a meal because here's what I want you to think about. The reason we don't rehash everything we went through is because we've already arrived. And it is going to be the same when we get to heaven. Nobody's gonna arrive in heaven and say, God, that was so unfair, that was so wrong, that was so tough, that was so rough. The minute your feet hit streets of gold and you see Jesus sitting on the throne and you realize suddenly that you were among the company of the redeemed, the old songwriter said, trials of the road will then seem as nothing when we sweep through that beautiful gate. It's gonna be an incredible day. 
Nobody is gonna be walking up to Jesus and saying, you really did me wrong, Jesus. That really was too hard. That really was unfair. And here's the best part. This is what Peter says next. He said, you're gonna get this reward. You're gonna have this joy. Your, your faith is gonna be tried and purified and rewarded at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, you yet believe in him. And you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Uh, that's an amazing, amazing verse. Here's what Peter just said to us. We've never seen Jesus, but we still love him. We have never seen Jesus, but we believe in him. We've never seen Jesus, but we still rejoice in him and in the salvation he's given. What's Peter talking about? You remember that Peter was standing there after the resurrection. Remember that Thomas, he didn't show up to the first gathering and he missed seeing Jesus, so he didn't believe. And then there was this second moment when all of the disciples are gathered together, and this time Thomas is with them. And Jesus is so compassionate that he makes a special second appearance to the disciples, really just to meet with Thomas and to reassure him that everything's going to be okay. And remember that Peter, who writes these words, he was standing there in that room when Jesus spoke these words to Thomas after his resurrection, and John wrote them down for us. Then saith Jesus to Thomas, John 20, 27, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Look at me, Thomas. I'm a living man talking to you with mortal wounds in my body. This isn't possible unless I'm God manifest in flesh. And Thomas, don't be faithless anymore. But believe me, I'm in control. It's okay. And that's when Thomas answered and said those immortal words that we love to preach. He said, my Lord and my God, you're not just my master who's taught me. No, you're almighty God in a body of flesh. My Kyrios and my Theos, my Lord and my God. And Jesus wheeled around and said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you got to look at me. You got to put your finger in these wounds and put your hand in the wound in my side. Because you have seen me, you believe me. But Thomas, there's another group of people. They will have the same revelation of me that I am the almighty God in flesh. They'll have the same revelation. They'll believe the same truth. They will believe and preach the same doctrine. But Thomas, they will have never seen me. You're blessed Thomas, because you've seen me, but blessed are they. There's a special blessing for those that have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, that's us. We have never seen Jesus in the flesh. We didn't get to walk with him in the first century. We didn't get to sit with him around a campfire beside the Sea of Galilee. We didn't get to walk the roads back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. We didn't get to do any of that. We didn't get to see any of his miracles in person when he was here on the earth robed in flesh. But Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, I'm glad you got to see me and that made you believe, but I've got a whole host of people coming in another era. They're never gonna see me, but they're still gonna have the same revelation you have. And that's who Peter's writing to. Strangers scattered just like us all over the world. And Peter says, you've never seen Jesus, but we still love him. And you've never seen Jesus, but you still believe in him. And you've never seen Jesus, but you rejoice in him with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let's be honest. You might not feel like rejoicing, when you look around at your situation, you just might not. But you can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory when instead of looking around at your situation, you look ahead at your salvation. Only then do you receive what Peter calls the end of your faith. He says in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Today is not the end, brothers and sisters. This trial that you're going through, is not the end. I speak in faith to someone. This sickness is not the end. And for us, even death is not the end. Only in heaven will we receive the full reward of our faith as children of God. And Peter goes on to say, and we're gonna kind of close with this paragraph tonight. 
in verse 10, he says, this salvation I've been talking to you about, this salvation I've been teaching to you, he said, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. All those Old Testament prophets that we know and love and revere, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, he said the prophets, they inquired and they searched diligently. They prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. And they searched what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. When that spirit that was in them testified beforehand, watch this, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Peter just told us, the Old Testament prophets inquired and searched diligently. They were trying desperately to understand these strange things that God inspired them to write and speak about. It was under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. They just were like dictating. Uh, God was dictating to them and they were just writing it down or speaking it out. They wanted to see what we have. They desired to see what we enjoy in the New Testament. Can you imagine Moses, who was the, the pastor of the three million strong church in the wilderness, the Israelites, wouldn't he have loved to see the New Testament church? But Moses never got to see that. But we get to see that. Peter writes in this book in the next chapter, you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. Moses was an incredible leader. Moses was a great man of God. Moses was a, a, a deliverer of Israel. But Moses never got to see that. But we have. Can't you imagine that Isaiah would have loved to have seen the day of Pentecost? Because it's Isaiah who said in 28 and 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Paul would later grab that phrase of prophecy and he would say, that's fulfilled in speaking in tongues in the New Testament. Isaiah would have loved to see that. He would have killed to see that. He would have given his right arm to see that, but he never got to see it. But you and I get to enjoy that experience every day. We're not as weak as the world might think we are. We're not as down as you might feel. We are the people of God and the church of God, and we are abundantly blessed. Can't you imagine that that Old Testament prophet, Joel, he would have loved to have been in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Because he's the one who said, it shall come to pass afterward. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Can't you imagine? Joel would have loved to have been in the day of Pentecost. Just a mouse in the corner in the upper room. Watching his prophecy unfold and come true. But he never got to enjoy that. But we get to enjoy that. We can do that anytime. God's given us that powerful gift, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And just one more and I'll move on. <clears throat> I want to conclude tonight. Enoch, the Old Testament guy who got caught away, he would have loved to have seen the coming of the Lord. Here's what Jude wrote in his little short book. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, he could, it's almost like he could touch it or feel it or see it or sense it. He said, behold, here's my prophecy. The Lord cometh with 10 thousands of his saints. That was Old Testament looking way ahead in the distance. But before too long, we're gonna get to experience that, you and I as the people of God. So the prophets, they didn't understand many things about salvation. They didn't understand many things that they wrote or spoke about. But there was one thing that especially puzzled them. One thing, above all other mysteries that they wrote and spoke about, this one thing puzzled them. And Peter mentioned it here. They, they, the Spirit of God revealed that the Messiah would experience suffering first, and then great glory would follow. And they just could not understand God's plan at all. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying when he stood in that little room and talked to Thomas and the disciples in John chapter 20. Thomas, I'm standing before you bearing in my body the marks of death. But now, even though I went through that 
terrible, awful, painful suffering. I'm now on the other side of the resurrection. I've been through incredible suffering, but now I'm experiencing the ultimate glory. Why would Jesus go through the agony and the suffering of the cross for us? Why? Well, the simplest answer is that he loved us so much. That's a good answer. But maybe there's another part of the answer that is just as important and just as wonderful for us. Jesus could see the glory beyond the suffering. He could see beyond that cross. He could see beyond that whipping post. He could see beyond that judgment hall. He could see beyond that angry mob and even that, that tomb. He could see beyond the suffering to the glory that would follow. And Jesus, Peter says, is our pattern. His suffering was the pathway to his glory. His crucifixion was the pathway to his resurrection. And his death for all of us was the pathway to eternal life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author, he begins it, and he's the finisher. He completes our faith. We can trust him all the way. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame. But now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through the cross knowing that there was incredible glory on the other side. That there was incredible joy on the other side. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross? God manifest in flesh. God robed in a body of flesh that could feel pain and agony. He could feel all of that uh, intense suffering on the cross. But he could also see beyond as God. He could see beyond that moment. And I believe that he could see us in that moment. I, I was in Israel one year. And uh, we were uh, clustered around the garden tomb. We always go there. We always have communion there, looking over that uh, tomb and that little wooden door that, that now has a sign on it. He is not here. He is risen. And it, it's just an amazing place. I believe that is actually the spot where Jesus was buried. I really do. And we've sat there many times. But on this particular time, as we were taking communion, there was a message in tongues and an interpretation in our little group as we sat looking over that tomb. And the Lord spoke to us through the gifts of the Spirit, and here's what he said. I'll never forget it. I can still feel it right this moment as I talk to you. The Lord spoke to us, and he said, the suffering I experienced in this place is not worthy to be compared to the glory I feel in this place as my people worship me. You can imagine that kind of a Pentecostal pandemonium broke out right then. We were lost in that for a few moments. The prophets finally came to the realization that their prophecies were not for them. They were for a people that would come after them. And brothers and sisters, we are that people. We have the experience they desired. We have the gospel they prophesied. We have the Savior that they pointed to. We have the revelation that they wrote about. We have something, Peter says, that even the angels desire to look into. We're fascinated with angels and all this supernatural stuff as human beings. They, they make all kinds of movies about it and, and they write all kinds of stuff. And there's all kinds of weird religious movements that try to uh, get some kind of weird supernatural experience. But do you understand that the church is the highest, greatest thing God ever created? It is the ultimate in his creation. And if you could see into the angelic realms, the angels are watching you. The angels, if anything, they're kind of a little envious of you because you have salvation that they can never obtain. It's amazing. I know that today, and maybe even because of the current situation we're in, you may be struggling. But in the middle of struggle, in the middle of feeling a little scattered, maybe all alone, lonely, maybe like a stranger in your own life, I know you may be struggling, but I'd like to just help you tonight realize how very blessed you are in the middle of that struggle. You are in the church. You are in the greatest thing in God's creation. Your worst day in the church 
is far better and far beyond your best day in the world. The psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in a place of honor in the tents of wickedness. You're in the church. Here's what Jesus said. I say unto you, among those that are born of women, look back at the whole Old Testament. There's not a greater Old Testament prophet than John the Baptist. But the one who is least, the one who is weakest, the one who is most feeble, the one who feels like a failure, the one who struggles, the one who's walking through sickness, the one who feels like they don't have enough faith or they're not doing it right, the one that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist who was the greatest of all the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets. At a time like this, it's pretty easy to get looking around at our circumstances instead of keeping our eyes on Christ. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, we can get just like those scattered strangers that Peter's writing to nearly 2,000 years ago. And we can get just like Peter himself. You remember that little walk on the Sea of Galilee? He struggled. He lost his faith. He got his eyes off Jesus. That's what Peter did. No wonder he can write these words with such authenticity. Now, I know we are living in unprecedented times right now. We are in uncharted waters around the world. I've lived on this planet for 57 plus years, and I have never seen national borders shut down all around the world and airlines canceling hundreds and even thousands of flights and all of the politicians are in a quandary and all of our medical professionals, they're uh, scratching their head wondering how we're going to get through this with the resources that we have. We're living in unprecedented times. We are definitely sailing in uncharted waters. But maybe, just maybe, we should take a little lesson from these scattered believers. They didn't have the opportunity to gather together like we've enjoyed every Sunday for years, some of us. They had no opportunity. They were scattered. They were strangers, even to one another. They lived in different places. And the only connection they really had was when somebody would take a letter from somebody like Peter or Paul and walk it around to all the little tiny, tiny groups that gathered together and read it to them. <laughs> they, don't have the they didn't have the opportunities that, that we enjoy all the time. So maybe at this time, when we can't gather together, maybe we should take a little lesson from these scattered believers who don't have our privileges and our opportunities and our perks and our technology. And maybe, just maybe, church, we could learn a few lessons at this time through this situation. Maybe we could learn here in Canada how it is possible that the underground church in so many nations, communist nations, Muslim nations, persecuted nations, how is it possible that they can survive and even thrive when they can't own buildings and they can't meet together in large groups like we have. But how is it possible that they can survive and thrive? Maybe there's something to learn while we're scattered. Maybe we need to learn from them how we could just break out of the walls of our buildings and be the church wherever we happen to be and not feel like church is just something we come to or church is just something we do. Maybe we can learn from them how we can be a blessing and not just keep coming to a building time after time to just get a blessing. Maybe this would be a good time to let God talk to you about how you can be a blessing to other people. Maybe this is a good time when we can minister again, afresh, anew to our families and our friends and our neighbors. When we can't get together in large groups, I'm glad to tell you that the church is not confined to this building that I'm standing in. The church is not confined to one location. The church is anywhere the people of God are. Maybe, just maybe, we can learn from these scattered strangers who lived 2,000 years ago. Maybe we could learn at this time, over the next few weeks, or however long this goes, we have no idea. Maybe, just maybe, we could learn how to turn our homes and turn our families into little churches dotted all over this city so that people don't have to drive across town to come to one building to get a touch from God. But they could get a touch from God from the prayer of a neighbor standing out on the driveway. 
A neighbor on the telephone praying over them. Maybe, just maybe, we could learn that. And maybe, just maybe, we can learn from these scattered strangers 2,000 years ago, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, maybe we could learn from them at this time when we're scattered and we feel a little bit like this is a really strange situation we're in. Maybe, just maybe, we could learn how to grow personally and how to grow as a church through this crisis because that is exactly what the early church did. Without technology, without resources, without government approval for meetings, without buildings, they changed their world. Maybe, just maybe, there are lessons to learn during this time while we feel so scattered. And so tonight, before I pray, I just want to say to all of the strangers who are scattered right now, we're all over. We can't come to the building to meet. We're trying to honor our government leaders and our medical professionals, and we, we feel that's the church's job. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. We, we, we are not fearful, but we do believe in being careful. And so we're following all the advice, and we're obeying all the restrictions and all, all of the government requirements and recommendations. But let me tell all of you people, while we choose to be careful but not fearful, we remember our God is still on his throne. The blood of Jesus still saves and heals. The devil is still defeated. And this church is still victorious. We may feel scattered. We might even be scattered right now. But if these people could impact their world, you want to believe with all the perks and privileges we've got, we can impact our world. And my prayer for you during this time is not that you would uh, just kind of wait until we come back to the building with this big thrust of energy and enthusiasm. I'm praying during this time that that energy and that enthusiasm and that faith and that trust and that commitment to God, that it would just flame up in your life and you'd allow God to use you wherever you happen to be right now, even though we're scattered one from the other. Let me pray for you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, standing here in this empty sanctuary with just these wonderful tech people here, I have felt your spirit tonight. And I believe that somebody watching on a tablet or on a phone or on a computer, I believe they felt your spirit too. And I believe there's enough power in your word to go through a screen over the internet and challenge somebody because you've done that for me through so many services and sermons that I've had the opportunity to watch. And so I pray right now, God, not that your people would just kind of push pause and wait to get back to our buildings and our routine and our services, but I pray you'd allow us somehow to push fast forward and you would propel us into a brand new stage of our relationship with you and our growth as a church and into revival for your kingdom. You've done it so many times in history. You used Moses to deliver the children of Israel. You used Esther to deliver the children of Israel. You used Daniel. You used all the prophets. You used your apostles. God, you want to use us. We want to be that kind of people. Even while we're scattered, even while we remove one from the other, Jesus, I pray that you would unite this church, your church, like never before. We give you the honor and the glory because I believe you're going to hear that prayer. And you're going to use some people in unprecedented ways at this unprecedented time. I speak it, I believe it, and I receive it in the name that is above every other name, in the name of Jesus.